Amen. Please remain standing as we, uh, as Christy comes to read our scripture for us this morning. Our scripture comes out of uh, the 45th chapter of the book of Genesis as we continue our series today, as we conclude our series today on the foundational stories of the Old Testament, especially, especially the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8a. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph, Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Oh God, pour out your spirit upon this your word and make it be for us the word of life that we might be people of life and now God hide me behind your cross that your message of love and grace might shine through for the redemption of the world through Christ our Lord we pray amen you may be seated of all the directives and instructions of of Jesus one stands above the others it is, it is second only in importance to love, but I have found that if this is first in the, in the kinds, it stands first in the kinds of, of difference that it will make in our own lives and especially in the lives of those around us. This has the, this has the power to, to destroy marriages or, or to sour friendships or, or to bankrupt companies or, or even to topple nations. It's not adultery. <laughs> It's not lying, it is, it is not cheating, it is not gossiping or stealing, it is the power of forgiveness. It's the power of forgiveness. It stands only second to the power of love, but I have found that the power of forgiveness, forgiveness, my, the way that I see it, forgiveness is love with flesh on. That's what forgiveness, that's what forgiveness is. It's, it's uh, love sometimes, we, we get this idea that, that love is this touchy-feely kind of emotion and sappy feeling, but that's not what it is. Love lived out is forgiveness. Love lived out is forgiveness. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. 
over the past two years of being your pastor, I know that I have, that I have preached on forgiveness a number of times. There's a reason for that. Because again, it is second only, only to love. And I believe that forgiveness is love lived out. So as long as I am here, you will hear me talk about the power of forgiveness. Talk about the power and the importance of forgiveness. I have seen it so many times, so many times in my own life and in my own, mem- in, in my own ministry. One of the first churches that I pastored, there was a, a, a man by the name of Roger. Roger was a, a faith, pretty faithful member in the life of that church, and he was, uh, Roger was a, a committee chairperson. He was the chairperson of an important committee in that church, and he had been the chairperson for eight or nine years. And, and one of the things, if you've been around me for very long, by the way, some of you have been called recently or will be called uh, upcoming about serving in the life of the church. Some of you are smiling and shaking your head. Well, Roger had been a, the chairperson of this committee for eight or nine years, and, and, and what I have found what I have found in, in uh, administering the church is those who have been a chairperson of a committee for eight or nine years, uh, it quits becoming the committee of the church, and it begins to be the committee of one. <laughs> and they take, so much, they take so much ownership of that committee that it never, never gets out of the rut that they have been in. And so I quickly realized that in this church and especially on this committee and so it was time for it was so we we set committees up in in three-year terms you serve for three years and then and then rotate off and and roger uh was due to rotate off and so um i just rotated him off of that committee like i mean like i i mean i i was completely and absolutely unaware that he was going to be as offended as he was and he was more than just offended. He was fighting mad. Oh, man, he was, he was angry at his, at his new pastor, me. And I, I, I did not expect that. Um, I, I did not expect that response at all. I, I tried to talk to Roger and his, and his wife as well. I even went so far as to write a letter of apology to Roger and his family and, and telling them that, I, that, that, I, that I, I probably should have handled that a little bit better. But in the end, Roger and his wife quit the church. And in fact, not just, not just quit the church, but, but they, didn't, they didn't come back to our church and they didn't come back to, a, to any other church. And, and I, I, watched, I watched Roger and, and his family really struggle through life. Just a few years later, his wife uh, tragically died, and they had no church to surround them. We, we tried to reach out to them, and they would have none of it. I, I watched his, his son go through a divorce, and, and they, would have, they, would, they would not allow our church to, to, to care for them at all or, or any other church to care for them at all. You see, dear brothers and sisters, whenever we, we refuse, whenever we refuse to, to forgive, I have seen that that refusal to forgive begin to not only affect affect us, but also uh, I I think even even our family history, even sets the stage for for family histories. I have I have seen families that have been absolutely torn apart because of of something that happened years and and even decades and even generations ago because one family member refused to forgive another family member. The power, 
The power of forgiveness cannot be over, overstated. And, and, and we, know, we know what it is to, 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 to have the need to forgive someone, for, for we've all had a friend that has, that has abused our trust, and, and we know what that's like to, to have a trusted friend, and they, they abuse that trust. We all know what it's like to have a, to have a co-worker that it, that it quickly became a competition with that co-worker, and, and that competition led to, led to unkind words and, 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 and a broken relationship. We all know what it's like to have a, to have a boss that, that you have an ethical disagreement with, or, or, or or, or, or we have a family member that there's just simply been there's just simply been too much water under that bridge, or sibling rivalry that's kept on for for years and decades and maybe even generations. And we all know that family relationship that there's disagreement and and it even has slipped into some sort of abuse. Today we're concluding our series on, on these roots, these foundational Old Testament stories that help us understand not, not, just, not just these great characters, but I believe that they, they teach us the core principles of our faith. And today I think it is so appropriate for us to, uh, for, for us to end on, on this story, the story of Joseph and Joseph and his power to forgive his brothers. Now, indeed, he had so much to forgive his brothers for. I mean, we, we have been, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the story of, of Joseph. And Joseph was the favored son. He should not have been the favored son. It, it should have been the oldest son in the family. For, you see, the oldest son in the family would have inherited at, at least 50% of the of of what their father would have handed down to them and there were there were 12 sons so the oldest son was going to get 50% and the other 11 sons they were going to split the rest of the 50% and there's a reason for that there's a reason for that for the oldest son would have been commanded to care for the rest of the family after the father Jacob died it would have been the oldest son that would have been he would have been put in charge of of not only the family business but he would have been put in charge of, of all of, really, all of the rest of the family. Everyone would have looked to the oldest son. For the, so the oldest son, always in that culture, was the, the favorite son. But, but Jacob, instead, he had a favorite wife. And so Joseph was the oldest son of his, of his favorite wife. His other brothers hated him because of that. Uh, we, we saw a couple of weeks ago how, how their father had given Joseph a very special, a very special coat, an ornately, uh, and, and ornate coat, meaning that Joseph was never going to have to work a day in his life. And we find that. We find that because his father sent Joseph out to go check on his brothers that were out in the fields, and he chose Joseph to go check on his brothers. Well, when he got there, when he got there, they said, oh yeah, here comes that dreamer. <laughs> So they came up with this plan. They were going to throw him in a, in a dry cistern. And, let, and, and in fact, they, 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 all wanted, they all wanted to kill him. But the oldest brother, Reuben, again, the caretaker of, of the, really the caretaker of the rest of the family, said, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. Let's just leave him there. And he secretly plotted that, that he, would, he would talk his brothers out of, out of killing their brother, Joseph, and he would come back later and rescue him from... Uh, from that dry well. 
But as they were sitting around waiting, wondering what in the world they were going to do with this brother of theirs that they had thrown in this, in this dry cistern, a, a, band of, a, a band of slave traders came along and, and they, they thought to themselves, well, why should we, I mean, we want our brother dead and we can make some money in the meantime. So let's just sell him into slavery. And so that's what they did. Sold him into slavery. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I, have my, I have my sibling rivalries. I mean, I, I, I've, got, I've got four older siblings. I mean, there are times that, uh, that in the family there's, there's, there's some rub back in between, between me and my siblings, but I can't even begin, can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like to have been sold into slavery by your brothers. He found himself in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar was a government official, and 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 we heard, and you heard this story last week that uh, Joseph was a was a was a was a good-looking young man, and Potiphar's wife had her eye on him, pursued pursued Joseph, and and Joseph, being a godly man, knew that it was that was not what he was to be about, and so he literally uh, left his coat behind as he escaped from her, and and she was standing there holding his coat and began to make a false accusation against Joseph that, that Joseph had, had tried to attack her. Potiphar was, was absolutely furious when he heard it, and so he, he had Joseph thrown in prison. So Joseph was sold into slavery. He was put into prison, not just for a couple of months. He was put into prison for more than two years. He sat there and rotted in prison. Finally, Finally, the Pharaoh had a dream one evening, one, one night. In fact, he had, uh, and, and, the, and all of his, all the, all of Pharaoh's counselors and, 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 and seers, they couldn't interpret the dream. They had, they had no idea what that dream, uh, what that dream was about. But Joseph was one who could interpret dreams. And he had already interpreted a dream for the, for the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. And, and one of them went to Pharaoh and said, hey, I met this guy in prison that could interpret dreams. He may be able to tell you what that dream meant. And sure enough, Joseph knew exactly what that dream was. The, the dream meant that there were going to be seven years of, of great abundance of, uh, in, in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of extreme drought. So um, Pharaoh, because Joseph could interpret his dreams, Pharaoh said, so let me tell you, son, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise you up in my government so much so that I'm going to put you second in command. So for those seven good years, Joseph, Joseph uh, he stored all of the grain. You know, normally, so, so normally, uh, they, they would have they lived high on the hog during those great seven years of abundance. But instead, instead, Joseph stored up all of that grain because he knew that the seven years of drought was coming. And sure enough, Sure enough, the seven years of drought began, and the, and the scripture tells us that the drought extended not just in Egypt, but all the way up into the land of Canaan, all the way through the Mediterranean, um, Mediterranean shoreline. And, and so his brothers and his father, again, his father thought he had been killed by a wild animal because that was the story of his brothers. His, his brother and his fathers, they were, and his family back home in, in Canaan, they were, they were without food. And so his brothers, his brothers came into Egypt to try to find, try to find some, some more food. And, and through a series of events and through um, a, a little bit of plotting and scheming, as, as, I've, as I've studied this uh, story this week, I've, I've read this a, look, a little bit in a different light. I don't think, 
I don't think that necessarily that Joseph was plotting and scheming in, in, in order to get back at his brothers. He was just trying to figure out whether his, whether his younger brother, Benjamin, his, his full brother, if he was still alive and, 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 if, his, and if his father was still alive. But through, all, through, through, through this entire thing, through this entire thing, um, he, his, his brothers finally, through this, through this elaborate scheme, his, his brothers finally came. And, and here in our passage of Scripture this evening, he, um, he revealed himself to one another and his brothers repented. You know, th- throughout this entire, throughout that entire story, uh, again, we don't, we don't hear anything about the feelings of Joseph. We have no idea what he was going through. But I'll tell you what, I, I would... I would suspect that if I was in if I was in his situation, there would have been a slow burn that was going on. Have you ever had one of those slow burns? <laughs> not not a, not a not not that fiery burst, but no, just that just that slow burn. Oh yeah, oh revenge is going to be so one of these days. I know it. I just know it. Revenge is going to be it's going to be perfect. He was second in command. Had he said the word, their lives would have been over. He revealed himself to his brothers. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve my life. And to preserve your lives. And God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. A couple chapters later, as their, as their, father, as their father dies back in chapter 50. After, after, their, father, after their father dies, the brothers are so concerned <laughs> Because they think that maybe his forgiveness only, only was present because, because their father was alive. And so after their father died, the other 11 brothers, they were scared to death that Joseph was going to seek revenge upon them. But this is what Joseph said to them. Joseph said to them, do not fear for, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. There are a number of things that forgiveness is not. A number of things that forgiveness is not. You've heard me say this again, but again, during my time here at First Church, I'm going to continue to remind you of this. To forgive someone does not necessarily mean to forget. You know, there's some people that say, well, just forgive and forget. There are some things that we just, it doesn't matter. I mean, I have seen people go be in counseling for years and years and years trying to forget that thing that had been done to them, and they cannot, absolutely cannot forget it. To forgive someone does not necessarily mean to forget. That's not what it means. But to forgive someone means we are giving up the right to get even. Because the Old Testament law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, meaning, meaning that if someone that if someone is mean to them, to mean to me, I have every right to me to be mean back to them. I had every right. 
I had every right to be as hateful to Roger as Roger had been, had been to me. I had every right. But forgiveness means this. Forgiveness means giving up that right to get even. It means giving it up. Saying, I know that I have every right to get back at you and to get even with you, but I give up that right. I give up that right. And I'm not going to give I'm not going to get even with you, but instead, I'm going to respond with grace and love. By the way, love does not mean light. God, Jesus, God never commands us to like everyone. Thank God. <laughs> because, to be honest, there are just some people we're just not going to like. Personality conflicts, whatever it is, there are some, th- there are some people that we're just not going to personally like but we are called to love. And again, remember what I said love is? Love is forgiveness. That's what love really is. Another thing that I've found is this. God can and God does use our pain for good. He does it every time. Again, hear these words of of Joseph after their father has died. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant to cause me harm, but God is and God can use it for good in my life. I've seen it time and time and time again. When we forgive I have seen that the power of forgiveness is such that God changes our circumstances. God begins to answer our prayers more fully. God honors that kind of forgiveness that we extend to others. To be a Christian means that we we forgive the inexcusable because the inexcusable has been forgiven in our own lives. Dear sisters and brothers, if, if if we don't get this right we will get most everything else wrong. Did you hear me? If we don't get this forgiveness thing right, we'll get almost everything else in our faith wrong. If you have someone that you have been holding on, you've been holding on for that, 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 that disagreement, that broken relationship, that, that evil action of you have been holding on and, and there's been a slow burn and you've been waiting, for, oh, just, just, just you wait. Wait for that day when I, can, when I can seek revenge. I would encourage you to, to just simply give it up this morning. Because in doing so, in forgiving, you too will be forgiven. Would you bow with me? So right there where you are, I would ask that you put your hands in your lap and just your palms facing up. You see, when when we have our fists clenched, that's as if we're grasping onto things. But when we have our palms up, that's that's a symbol of, of releasing something. And this morning, God may be laying on your heart someone that you need to forgive. 
And for some of us, it may even be something that we haven't even thought about in years and years and years, and we don't even re realize that there was a, some unforgiveness there. It may be something from our childhood that, that seemed, to be a, seemed to be pretty innocent, and we thought that we had dealt with that over the years. It was a, maybe it was a teacher that said something to us or, a, or an enemy that we had from, from childhood. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse, a family member. Right now, oh Lord, you are placing someone on our hearts. For some of us here today, oh, we knew exactly, we knew exactly who it was that you placed on our hearts. We knew before you even put it on our hearts because we know what unforgiveness is. We know what it is to have that slow burn. And it seems like, it seems like that, that unforgiveness that has seeped into our hearts has begun, to, has begun to sour most every other relationship that we've ever had. We struggle with trust. We struggle with taking things too personally. We wear our emotions on our, on our sleeve, on our shoulders, right out there out front. And God, we release to you that unforgiveness in our hearts right now. Come, Holy Spirit, minister to us as we release that unforgiveness. Right now, O oh God, as we give up that right to get even, we pray that you would, we pray that you would heal our hearts for those times when we have been wronged, those times that we have been hurt. Heal our hearts and heal our relationships. Help us to, to forgive the inexcusable just as you have forgiven the inexcusable in our own lives. And God, we pray that as others meant it for evil and for harm, God, we pray that you would use it for good. Come and minister to us, O oh Lord, as we forgive. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.